Welcome to Blunt Norse Trauma, the 2021 season. This is episode 16. I am one of your hosts, JB. On the other end, we have Sarah. Sarah, how are you Hello. doing? Uh, well, a little disappointed, but I uh, still had fun on the trip. I uh, just didn't end up the way I wanted it to exactly. More of a, I left my heart in San Francisco rather than a, we built this city. <laughs> yeah. That's a real good, good musical way to put it. It was a disappointing. I thought it was a disappointing effort, period. Uh, they looked flat and uninterested in this game. And some may say most of the team anyway. Yeah, it, there were some guys that I mean, some guys look like they were balling out. But the overall vibe I got from this game was just a we just want to be done with it and go get out of here kind of thing. And it's disappointing because we started off really well on both the offense and the defense, actually. Like, right at the beginning, it went, the start of the game went better than I thought it was going to. And then I don't know exactly where it fell apart. Well, it fell apart when it normally falls apart in the final minutes of the first half is when I think it went south on us. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm not as big into that as everyone else seems to make it out to be, but that's just me. Well, the Niners went 85 yards at the end of the half to tie the game. And then you knew the Niners were getting the ball back to start the second half. I, I don't know. I didn't feel any urgency towards the end of the half. And then, like I said, the Niners came out and on the first drive of the second half went right down. And then Kirk threw a terrible, terrible interception. I don't know what he saw. And from that point, it was just, you know, and they were, they, you know, they went down two scores, but then, then they showed life on the next drive to cut it to seven, but they never really got back into it. Uh, it was just a, a rough, right. rough game. And for as rough a game as it was, they still had a, the ball with a possibility of tying this game at the end. So I, I can't figure this team out, but you were there. We should have so, had it before then. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, everything kind of compiled against us at, at a few points. Yeah, we, we've, and that this wouldn't have mattered, but, you know, we, we didn't take the three points. We went for it on fourth down, didn't get it down near the goal line. And, uh, but the, yeah, in the end, that, that doesn't really matter because they still wouldn't needed a touchdown to, to win it. You know, they couldn't have kicked a field goal to tie it at that point. I don't know. It was a weird, yeah, it was a weird vibe, but you were there. So well, let, let's hear your take on the game, and then we'll get into our duds and studs. Uh, it was interesting being there. I don't know if you saw it on TV how excessively bright it was during the game, at least for the first, like, half. Yeah, it was, wasn't uh, it? Yes, and apparently, I'm not sure if this is 100% true because – it came from some uh, 49ers fans that were in the stadium. They actually rotate which side is the visitor's bench, depending on where the sun is. So the visitor's bench is always in direct sun because the home team bench was on the other side of the field. They had shade the entire game. All right. Now I'm going to have to look for this. Now I'm going to have to, I have, I've followed a couple of Niners people. I'm going to have to ask them if this is a true truth or yeah, if they may not tell me, but I want to find this out now. I'm interested. Yeah, so it was yeah, it was exceedingly bright, and we were wearing our icy whites, which 
sort of made it difficult to see exactly who was making plays at first because the bright white uniforms and the bright sunshine was not a good combination. Oh, no, not at all. Yeah, it, it made it a little tricky to to catch, you know, and obviously no like TV announcers or anything, and they don't really announce the play is very well inside the stadium. So it got to be a little frustrating. I had to like look things up on my phone to, to follow at a couple of points. It was, it really like when you say it was bright. Yeah. It was very bright. Come yeah, to think I had it. to, I had to put my towel over my head to make like shade. And you said it was in so, what, the mid seventies start of the game. Yeah. About that. And it, but it cooled down really quick at, at towards the end. I have never been to San Francisco, but I've heard that the weather can be like that during the day. You can see 20, 25 degree drop-offs from day to night, temperature wise. Yes. Wow. But yes, it was, it was interesting. Um, forgot how difficult it was to climb up all those like stadium steps. Um, to get to concessions or the bathroom or anything like that. Cause I'm used to us bank stadium. You were telling me Levi is not easy to navigate. No, it is not. And everything is just super far away. Uh, even to get back to where you can get a ride share or a taxi or anything. It, you have to take a shuttle to get over to the parking lot that they allow them to pick you up at, even though you got dropped off right in front of the stadium. But after the game, you have to go like, it seems like you're going really far away, but it turns out it's only like around the fence on the other side. But the shuttle takes like 20 minutes. Ugh. Yeah. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to cross that one off my list. I don't think I want to go to Levi Stadium. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you heard my horror stories about the fans. Not all of them are like that. There was some nice ones, but I happened to be sitting in a section with some very obnoxious 49ers fans. So that is probably permanently scratched off my schedule as well. And that's a shame because you can get some nice fans. I think every fan base has its good people and then it has its jerks. I think too many fan bases get like the overall, although Philadelphia, quite honestly, I think they're the worst fan base I've ever encountered. And that's the right, that one's vibe. been off my list forever. <laughs> yeah. I, I used to live about two hours from there. So I would catch a, a lot of events, a lot of sporting events in Philadelphia. Uh, thanks to my dad's job. And I was there for all four, all four of the major sports. They're bad at all four. I Oof. I think the hockey fans are actually worse than the football fans. Oh, wow. Yeah, the hockey fans are nasty in Philadelphia. Uh, fo- football fans are bad. Basketball was probably the, easy, the ones I had an easiest time dealing with. Uh, I don't know why they, aren't, they weren't as vocal, but the, and baseball fans are nasty too. So Philly is just a terrible place to go to see a game if you are not rooting for the Philadelphia teams. Um, yeah. But San Francisco as a, t- as a city is beautiful. Um, I spent two full days sightseeing, so that was great. And the hotel I was at was gorgeous. So I definitely, if I was going for a non-game reason, I would definitely go back. Cause there's still some parts that I didn't get a chance to see that much because I ended up spending a little too much time at Fisherman's Wharf. but. 
that was like my favorite place in the entire city. Well, the pictures you sent me were really cool. I, I think I would like to see the city itself. I think that would be fun. Well, let's get back to the game. Um, and again, you had the bird's eye view. So who are your three duds of the week, Sarah? And I know you said you, you actually had trouble narrowing this down. I did. Um, so I kind of went with the best way I could do it. My number three dud, and this doesn't happen very often this season, but his cousins. Um, I mean, I guess he was due for a bad game, but I mean, and it really wasn't that bad. He was 20 of 32 for 238 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. Uh, but his completion percentage was like 60%. And anytime he's below 65%, that's with one exception, that's when we lose. The one exception was the Arizona game. His completion percentage was 68% and we still lost, but we lost by a point. And his uh, rating was 93. So he was under 100. So for him, that's an awful game. Um, but really, I mean, that's only his third interception of the year. So it was a little hard for me to put him on the duds list, but I'm not sure where some of those passes were actually meant to be going. They weren't anywhere near our players or catchable, but that kind of leads into my number two dud, which was Justin Jefferson, four of nine. Some of those misses were on Justin as well. Um, I'm not sure exactly what the problem was. Um, he apparently was the first read for a lot of those throws and shouldn't have been because he wasn't open. So I, I'm not. And he did have that nice pass, though. I will give him that. That actually worked, which I was really surprised about. Yeah, they've been um, trying to get that one in all year. Right. They've tried it like three times, but yeah, he finally got it. Hopefully they don't try it too many more times because it usually doesn't work. Um, but yeah, so yeah, some of those balls were, you know, on him because four for nine. I mean, that, that's five targets that he didn't actually catch. And then my number one dud was the corners as a whole group, except for Patrick Peterson, because he actually made some plays. Although I'm not sure how he ended up inciting Harry into getting a penalty for like trying to start a fight when Harry wasn't even involved in that play, but who knows? I am not, the refs were not doing their best work in the sun. So who are your duds? Well, like you said, it was hard to narrow it down and I almost put Kirk on this list too. And then I looked at it and I said, it wasn't, I can see where he could be a dud. But for all the reasons you said you, you, he could have been left off, it ended up where it wasn't as bad a game as we thought. I think he's finally set a standard, though, to where we don't expect to see him do that. He was off all day. His target, I mean, Adam made a couple of catches to bail him out. So he wasn't throwing well, but I didn't put him on this list because I didn't. I thought there were people that did a worse job. Uh, my number three was Xavier Woods. Again, missing tackles, yeah. major blown coverage <laughs> early on on that 37-yard pass play. You know, Harry goes in on a blitz, and Woods just looked like he didn't know what was going on. It looked like he was not in the huddle to, for the play. He just let it go. He's starting to backslide, and I don't like what I've been seeing. Number two, 
Ollie. Ollie was bad again. Yeah. Uh, I call him Ollie back him up Tenudo because that's what happens. He gets holding penalties every game. Uh, he's yeah. Pushed around. And he was, I mean, on the play where Dalvin got hurt, he was in the backfield. He was in the backfield with Dalvin. And it wasn't wasn't by design. Let me tell you. He got pushed all the way around. So he has not impressed me. Uh, we've got to find a replacement for him. And Wyatt Davis doesn't seem to be getting healthy enough to play. So I'm very disappointed in that. Uh, you can't be mad at the kid for being hurt. But at the same time, if he can't get on the field, it just ends up being a waste of a pick. And then yeah. my number one, I just took the defensive front as a whole. Uh, and I know we were missing guys, but they gave up 208 yards on the ground. You're playing a San Francisco team. You know what they do, and you can't stop it. That I I had no. They have no excuse other than again, running thin. Okay, I get it, but 208 yards. That's unacceptable. Uh, the one thing you need to do to to beat the Niners, and you don't do it. So those are my three duds for the week. Now I know we had some good performances. So Sarah, who are your three studs this week? All right. So number three was Keeney. Uh, that was a, an amazing return. Uh, I thought maybe he had gotten stopped, but then no, all of a sudden he breaks through everything and takes it in for the touchdown. That um, was, that was awesome. So his, his second of the year, and we're going to see more of him. Um, you know, Fortunately, we now have another, uh, still have a one-two punch at running back if we actually play it wisely. My number two stud was Harry. 11 tackles, a huge interception. Uh, you know, he was all over the field. He was in on plays that he wasn't even supposed to be in, I don't think. Uh, he came clear across the field on a couple of tackles because the person who was supposed to be tackling didn't, but yeah, it, he was flying everywhere. So he gets number two and my number one is Adam. Uh, you know, he should have had three touchdowns at least easy. He was wide open most of the day. Um, you know, and that, that catch they called a not catch was definitely a catch. Yeah. Matter of fact, I think the officials told him after the game, had it been a rule of catch initially, they wouldn't it have, would have stayed. It. Yeah. Which means it was a catch and they were just trying to cover their butts instead of, you know, getting in trouble for blowing a play. I mean, that where it was on the field, we would have most likely gotten a touchdown. It was terrible. It was a great catch and, and I can't believe they didn't overturn it. And it was right relatively in front of me. So I could clearly see both of his gloves underneath the ball. And the fact that he immediately stood up and started calling for the sideline to challenge the play. Like yeah, and he was talking to the ref immediately. Like he knew it was a catch. That one bothered me that everybody saw it as a catch. The announcers calling the game saw it as a catch. They figured no way. They watched the replay a couple times and uh, to tell for the officials to tell him it would have been a catch had it been initially called one that doesn't help anybody that, like you said, that just tells me, well, then why didn't you just overturn it there? Right. I mean, and then he would have, there was, uh, he was wide open in the end zone. So there would have been another touchdown for him, 
both times at the end where Cousins over or missed miss through to Tyler Conklin. It was a little bit underthrown and like down to the side. It was not a, a great throw. And then when he horribly overthrew Justin Jefferson, like well over his head, although he could have probably jumped and at least tried for it, but he probably still wouldn't have caught that one. But Adam was open on both of those attempts. Like, like as I haven't seen Kirk be that off in quite a while. And uh, I know we always talk about like the guys that were open and played. I, I agree with you, but at the same time, I would love to get a almost the quarterback's view of what what he actually sees, because he might not actually be able to see what's happening. If the pressure is coming from a certain side, it could be a blind spot. You know, it, it's like that's on, true. Yeah, on TV we see it. It's like, oh my gosh, how did he miss this guy? He was wide open, and they show different angles, and it's like, yeah. I think but- you'd want to aim more towards the front of the end zone to give people's feet a chance to actually end up in bounds, because even. If Justin Jefferson had caught that high ball, I don't think he would have gotten both feet inbounds because he was too close to the boundary line at the time. No, he was out of. He was definitely in. That, that was there was no chance. It would have been the greatest catch in the history of football if he could have got up that high and come down with both feet in the back in the end zone. Uh, it was right. by design. I don't think it was a good play either. My studs are exactly the same and not in the same order, but pretty much. I mean. Keeney was just great. That return was fantastic. And now we are 0-2, by the way, in games where he returns kicks for touchdowns, which is stupid. Um, Weird. And and I had Adam at 2 and then Harry at 1. But they're really interchangeable. And so for all the same reasons that you had them ranked, we were definitely watching the same game in terms of our studs for the week. And in all honesty, I don't think it was that hard to pick the three because nobody other than those guys did all that much in the game. So no, they're the ones with heart. Yeah. Like most of the team, like you said, was kind of dead. But you got Harry out there running. I don't know. He probably ran an extra couple hundred yards with as much ground as he was covering to to make plays that other people missed. And then taking one for the team with that stupid penalty. They were trying to throw him out of the game, is what they were trying to do. Yeah. But and still and getting his first interception of the year. Finally. Yeah, and that's hard to believe that that was number one for the year. But as we say, he hasn't been able to be hairy, though. No, he's out there covering everybody else's backside as he has for the last two seasons, which although he did manage to get five interceptions last year doing that, too. Yeah. Yeah, it's different for whatever reason. It's different this year. And I don't maybe they're not throwing towards his towards him as much. They're scared of him. Yeah. You know, most of his ta- we see the tackles, and he's coming from the other side most times when he's making them now. So, yeah, definitely going away from Harry. Um, yep. And your studs, well, you nailed it with the studs this week. I nailed my X factors. Yep. Yeah, or the X factors. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, I was. I mean, I've been calling for Harry to get an interception for the entire season. It's just it's not Harry like to not have them. So. I knew he was due for one. He'd had a like three misses earlier in the season. So he was getting frustrated. And so he finally managed to get one and he didn't even have to dive for it. It wasn't even like a tricky one. No, no, it wasn't at all. 
Yeah. And then, you know, Adam, five of seven. So, I mean, he caught most of the stuff that was catchable that came his way at 62 yards and two touchdowns. He's actually tied for first in the league with wide of four wide receivers with 10 touchdowns on the year. And we say this every week too. He is the new Rudy. That, yeah. That's Kirk's guy. When he's down near the goal line, we're looking for Adam and Adam is getting open. Which I don't understand. If you know that you're probably only going to get your first read in because your offensive line is going to fall apart like tissue paper. Why is Adam not the first read automatically within the red zone? Yeah. And that's the thing I, we don't understand. And I get it. JJ's a special talent, but it's kind of like the golf thing, you know, drive for show, putt for dough. Right. JJ's the drive. Adam's the putt. And they're both important. They just Absolutely. are used in different ways. Absolutely. So, like I said, when you're inside like the 30 yard line, why is he not the first read? If he's not open by some miracle, they decide to bracket coverage him. You can either check down or try to get to Justin as your second read. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, I think they're keying more on Justin. I think they're forgetting about Adam a lot of times. So right, because he's not getting the big yardage in the middle. I still don't understand Kubiak. He's been a little bit better, but I still don't get what he's doing out there. He still needs to be on the sideline. Yeah, you can't do it from upstairs. You can only do so much from up there, I think. I believe in that as well. But my so, X factors sucked. So <laughs> I, I mean, like suck sucked. I took Mason Cole and we ran for a, a whopping 67 yards. The offensive line got pushed around all day. So he was part of that. Kirk was bad, but he didn't exactly have a lot of time back there all day. And then my, uh, my defense it was Mackenzie Alexander, who literally did nothing all day. If you look at a box score for this game, he's not even on it. Now, he was out there running around, but his name does not appear anywhere on a box score from Sunday. So, Mac. And that, that would be why all of the corners, except for Patrick Peterson, were on my dead list. Yeah. I mean,. I looked, I had to look twice as wait. He had to do something, right? I thought he did something. Nope. Not a thing. Mac did not a thing on Sunday. So uh, I may have to stop picking our corners to do anything. When I do my X factors. Right. Um, well, we've got a game this week again. Um, after, yes, we a, do. yeah, after a tough three game set, which honestly, you win two out of three in that set. You've got to be pretty happy. The problem isn't the, the last three games. It's the games that led up to it where we were playing 500 ball. Um, now, Detroit is the game we we should win this game, right? Like, But <laughs> that's not always the case with this Vikings team. What are what are your feelings on this upcoming game, Sarah? And who are you two X factors for it? Okay. Well, I mean, my thoughts on the game is basically the injury report because we've got some guys that we might get back and then some ones that we just lost. Um, 
Tomlinson hopefully will come off the COVID list. I think maybe I'm not sure. I don't remember exactly when he got put on there, um, but that would be nice because we have a starting defensive lineman anyway. Same for Patrick Peterson, who just got put on, but he's vaccinated, so he only needs two negative tests, and he can play on on Sunday. So hopefully he can manage to get two neg negative tests 24 hours apart and be able to actually go to Detroit. We'll see. Darisaw hurt his knee, but he went back in the game, I think. So it wasn't too serious just got banged up um although he was the one that let the let through the one sack that uh, they got on cousins so he's not really doing that great either for as highly touted as he was when we drafted him bar hurt his hamstring so we'll see i mean poor guy can't catch a break his knee is being stupid because he got bad advice in 2014 with the knee surgery which is unfortunate and now his hamstring is dinged up so he was out from the third quarter um ev we won't get back until at least the bears game december 20th if at all so not really counting on that at all and then of course we lose cook uh, it's a torn labrum and a dislocated shoulder, which means he really tore that labrum because that's one of the things that keeps your shoulder from dislocating. And yet they're saying that he's supposed to come back within two weeks. Yeah, that confused me too when they said two which, weeks. Which, if you look at torn labrum, usually it requires surgery. It's kind of like the meniscus of your shoulder. Like if you don't treat it properly, you're going to have a shoulder that dislocates randomly. And it also looked a lot worse than I guess it actually turned out to be because they were holding him down on the field. I thought for sure they were going to bring out the backboard and the stretcher because they were holding his head and neck down and all of the other players dropped to a knee. And I, yeah, my first thought was, oh no, he like just did something to his neck. Yeah. And I could understand that from the stands. Thankfully on TV, we got a little bit better view of it. And I didn't understand all the players taking a knee on it, but they probably didn't know exactly what was going on either. But yeah, he was definitely reaching up at that shoulder area when he went down. And I thought he maybe had, you know, broken his clavicle on the play. Uh, right. That, that, that's the best I could get out of it. But I knew it was a I knew it was an upper body injury. It wasn't it was nothing to do with somebody thought it was it might have been his ACL and I said no that, that had not anything to do with his ACL. I know that we're used to him messing up his legs, but this was totally he just body. went a lot more still. Had it been a knee, he would have been writhing in pain. Right. Like he went really still. That's why the other reason I was concerned, because he like just totally stopped. And that might have been why the players went down too. Right. I think they freaked out because he went down and then he was kind of like kneeled over because he had lost the ball too. He fumbled. Um, but then he just kind of hit the ground and just stopped for a bit. And that's where it looked 
super scary. But yeah, I don't know if he's going to come back for the Steelers game or not. I mean, it's stupid to think he'll, he won't be playing for the Lions game. There's no way. Like there some reports that he'll be ready to come back for the Lions game. And that's just ridiculous. So he's out for that. He's probably out for the Steelers game. And then we have the mini buy thing. So maybe he can recuperate enough to be able to, to play, but I really don't know. Um, like I said, labrum, you know, doing some research on it, it really needs to be surgically repaired in order to make sure that the shoulder stays in place. So I don't know if they want to risk the last few games of the season on him possibly popping his shoulder out of joint every time he gets hit just to have him in the game. Yeah. At some point we have, that decision's got to be made. Right. I mean, look at, I mean, Herb Smith Jr. could have come back earlier had he decided to go with the the cheap, quick uh, meniscus replacement, but then he'd be in the same spot in a few years that Barr is in. And so he's he a decided younger, to have the full surgery. Yeah, he's a younger guy. I mean, you want to get him fixed properly. Right. I mean, but hey, good news. The Lions are on their second string running back too. So it's a battle of RB2s. And I think RB2s are better than their RB2s. Yep. Um, So, yeah, I mean, we've got a a laundry list again on our injury report. but And we have to scoreboard watch because we've got like four teams that are right there with us as far as getting a a playoff spot because we're out of it now again. Oh, it's a crazy, it's going to be a crazy scramble for the playoffs. This added seventh team, which I absolutely don't like at all, but it's going to be a mad scramble. Uh, I think you're going to see these changes happen weekly now. And and teams are moving like five spots. Washington went from 12 to seven. Right. And we are actually only two uh, spots behind the Rams for the fifth seed. Yeah. I, bottom line is, Minnesota's got to take care of its own business and you, you can't worry about what's happening with our team. If you're winning your games, that's all you can do right now. You, you, you know, we have six games left. You, you can't worry or you can't worry about, or you can't hope that other teams are getting beat. You've got to go out and you've got to win your games and let them right. worry about what you're doing. Yeah. And most of our remaining games, four of them, in fact, are divisional games. Yeah, and I think there, I mean, I think there's a possibility that, that we can win five of these games. I, I, there's also a possibility we could lose five. That's the way this team has been going this year. Right. I can't get a good read. They could go one and five or five and one, and either one wouldn't surprise me. Right. The major hitches are going to be Green Bay and the Rams. Yeah, I think so. I think those are the ones. Um, and Chicago, no matter who quarterback, seems to give us a problem. But I can't see us sweeping Chicago only because we never sweep Chicago. We did in 2017. And it's been a while, and that was a very special year. I mean, that's a good point. It just seems like we, on regularly, we seem to split with them at the best. It's rare right. we sweep Chicago. Um, who are your X factors for this one, Sarah? By the way, 
I'm sticking with Adam and Harry. I mean, they're the ones with the the heart on the team right now, it seems. So I'm going to stick with the heart of the team. Um, You know, the two old guys that a lot of fans are like poo-pooing. And, but they're the ones producing. So go figure. Yeah, they, they, they're still out there doing their thing. I mean, they're, they're not old. They're old maybe to some people and maybe in football years, but they don't play like they're old. But not anymore. It used to be 30 is the kiss of death for football players, but it's not the case anymore. No, there've been so many advances the way these guys train and everything now they're playing well into their thirties now and being productive deep into their thirties. These guys have a lot of tread left on the tires. I'm not worried about them like others are. Um, I, of course, am going a little different with my X factors on offense. Keeney, because I think he's going to have to get more touches and I think we want to see what he can do. He had seven yeah, yards on his. You know, he had seven RB2 yards on that now. One. I'm sorry, Sarah. What? Oh, I'm saying he's RB two now. Yeah. Um, he had seven yards on his one carry. I know that's a very very small sample size, but we see the explosiveness in this kid, and I think he'll be excited, and I think he'll be revved up to do something if he's given the opportunity to, to get some touches on Sunday. So I'm looking at him as my offensive slash special teams guy. And then on defense, I'm going Nick Vigil now uh, based on what happened with Barr. He's not 100%. So I think Nick's really going to – I think Nick might see some more snaps on Sunday. I'd like to see him get them. And I think Nick Vigil is going to be important in the Vikings trying to get a win against Detroit this week. We have a poll from last week, a fun one. (laughs) <laughs> For those who don't remember, we wanted to know if Harry Harrison Smith was a dog, what kind of dog would he be? And the options were Irish Setter, uh, German Shepherd, Chocolate Lab, and a wolf. And a wolf. Well, the wolf won the vote. Uh, 43% of the vote was the wolf. So you were right on. The, they think he's a wild man and he can't be contained i like that poll it was a fun one this week i got to pick the poll and i struggled a little bit um but i think i have one that i kind of think i know how this is going to go but i want to try it anyway and the poll this week is going to be of the i'm going to have four running backs in viking history i want to know which one would you say goes on the vikings mount rushmore for running backs. Uh, And my four choices are going to be Chuck Foreman, Robert Smith, AP, and Dalvin Cook. I think I know how this is going to go. I fully expect it to go a certain way, but you never know based on who's out there in the Twitterverse. Uh, Sarah, who do you think will win this poll? I'd like to hear your opinion. I don't know. This is a tough one, mainly because I didn't actually start watching until partway into the the second option. Different different ways of looking at it, overall success, team success, individual stats. 
don't know. I'll probably go. I, I kind of know which way it's going to go as well, but I'll probably go with Robert Smith. I like that as a dark horse. I think people are going to go with Adrian Peterson. Yeah, that's the, the obvious just for individual numbers and records and that sort of thing. But really, there wasn't a lot of team success during that time. No, no. And, and, and I like, you know, Robert Smith, I think, had better team success. Chuck Foreman had the best team success of them all. Right. I just don't know a lot about him because I didn't start watching until the 97 season. Yeah, and I'm old, and I I did, and Chuck was one of my favorites growing up. So, sentimental, my, he's my sentimental choice for this. But I'm guessing he ends up fourth out of the four. And a lot of people will probably pick Dalvin Cook, and I think they're wrong if they pick Dalvin Cook. I hate to say that, but I think they're wrong if they take Dalvin Cook. Just yeah, because, well, because he hasn't managed to play an entire season. I looked it up for someone. He still has not managed to play even a whole 16 game season, let alone, you know, 17. No, nope. he's already missed games before this point this season. So he's not still not going to. Yeah. I think last season was his best one actually, in terms of games played. And he only managed 14. Yep. He still missed a couple, but I'm, yes. I'm looking forward to this poll. I want to see what people think now. I, I guess we're down to our question and get to know the host question already. Um, yes. Do you want to ask first or answer? I'll answer. Okay. Since we are getting into the holiday season, and you may not like this, but or you may not like these. I know D is not a fan, but what is your favorite Christmas song? Simple one. Ooh. Favorite Christmas song. My favorite Christmas song is... Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Sung by? <laughs> Judy Garland. Oh, okay. The, the slightly more sentimental version of it, not the, the one where they basically make it all happy. Because there's different lyrics depending on who sings it. And, I, you know, I, I'm sure I've heard it, but it's been a while since I've heard the Judy Garland version of it. That's good. It, it basically uh, says... Uh, through the years, we'll all be together at, if the fates allow. Mm -hmm. But the happy version changes it to hang a shining star upon the highest bow. The right. Judy Garland version is until then we'll muddle through somehow. Ah, I do know the, and I do know both lyrics. And it's funny that you mentioned that because it's one of those things I don't think about it when I listen to the song. But now that you say it, it's like, oh yeah, they, I do remember there are two different ways they uh they sing that if you watch the movie meet me in st louis that's where she sings it and it's supposed to be sentimental because they're moving away and they're not going to get to see the fair and uh they're talking about the families being separated and so they'll have to muddle through see you go all sentimental and then i'm going to totally throw a wrench into this thing because <laughs> my favorite and it has been for a long time this is terrible it's the 12 pains of christmas <laughs> uh bobby rivers did this it's one of he's he's famous for his 
comedic songs. And if anybody has not heard the 12 pains of Christmas, find it and listen to it. It's worth your time. <laughs> you know, rigging up the lights is just our favorite part. My kids love that. And since they're small, because they're like me, and at one point he'll go, now why the hell are they blinking? And the girls from the time they were tiny chuckled at that part. <laughs> so if anybody has not heard the 12 pains of Christmas, please tune it in, find it. But that is my favorite. And I have a couple and every one I like is more of a comedic song. So I like, the, I like the sentimental stuff too, but I lean towards the comedic side of it. And D just doesn't like it. And it's not that she hates the music and she just feels it's been overplayed. You know, they kept moving it up every year. They move up when you can start listening to Christmas music. And yeah. for her, it's, it started so early that she just tires of it. So I get that part too. Yeah. At the hotel in San Francisco, I got there on Thanksgiving by three o'clock that afternoon, they had turned the Christmas music on. <laughs> All of a sudden, the lobby was filled with 12 different renditions of Feliz Navidad and several renditions of Frosty the Snowman. And what else did they overplay to death? Uh, one really bad rendition of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Oh, boy. Uh, but yeah, so it was... Oh, and uh, the sleigh ride song, you know, it's all it basically has you know, clomping of hoof beats and bells and that's basically it yep yeah it's totally instrumental mm -hmm. yeah they probably played that one at least five or six times on thanksgiving alone I, i've been posting my nfl versions of christmas songs the last couple of days have yourself a merry kittle christmas <laughs> stuff like that because i was bored well i mean we had our own Christmas song when we had Rudolph. It was perfect. Rudolph the Red Zone Reindeer. Yes, and I, I did put I put one out there in honor of Rudy, and that's what I chose. Um, and then the one that people seem to like that I did was You're a Beast Mode, Mr. Lynch. <laughs> uh, but that's that's how my brain works. But I guess that's time for me to answer a question, huh? Okay. So my question is, if you could live in one historical era, when would it be and why? One that I haven't lived in? <laughs> Correct. The 1950s. And why the 1950s? It just, it's such a simple time. It seems like a simple time. I think it was more family-centered. And I think, I think we've kind of, I don't want to say we've moved fully away from family-centered, but it just seemed like everything was really geared towards the families and doing stuff together. I, I think about the holidays immediately, just basic, like kids didn't need the stuff they need now back in the fifties. Right. Uh, this, the, it was just simple. They, they found joys in the simple things. And I appreciate that. I, I think it would have been an interesting period i think the music from the 50s was good too quite honestly yeah that that's when rock and roll took off and classic rock and that's what's classic rock that's old school that's stuff my you know my parents grew up listening to 
I think it would be fun to live in an era that they grew up in. I'm not one to go way back. I need some modern conveniences like cars (laughs) (laughs) to get around. I don't want to go to horse and buggy days. I see that around here. Bless uh, my Amish neighbors. That's what they do. They do horse and buggies and, and more power to them for doing it. I can't, I need some kind of modern conveniences. So 1950s, a uh, short story taken out, made long. What would your yeah. be? <laughs> the Roaring Twenties. Uh, I could see myself being a flapper, going to speakeasies. Uh, there's so many new things being invented at the time. Um, a lot of what we now consider modern conveniences were starting. Um, you know, you had the early days of movies. You know, no sound, of course, but. Um, you know, and then you've got, you know, the telephone and electricity. I mean, back then, everyone was afraid to turn on electric lights because they thought they were going to blow up. Yeah. So they had yeah. wow. long sticks to be able to turn on the electric lamps so they didn't have to touch them. Um, you know, the clothes are awesome. I would love to, like, wear clothes from that era. So that would be my time frame, the Roaring Twenties. So neither of us is going way, way back. Like we're going, I mean, the twenties is a hundred years, but we're not going back centuries. Not, no, I'm not going back to like colonial times or, no. you know, something like that. No, nobody wants to live back then. Even the people that live back then didn't want to live back then. Right. Cause you know, every, every disease you caught was deadly pretty much. Yeah. People were, weren't making it to 40 years old. It was not a good time to be, be around. Um, I like right. the twenties. I think that's a good one. I think the twenties is a really good one. Uh, we're we're just about done. All we have left is a prediction. Thanks to me for getting it was my turn to do the all back. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. What like you we got? said, the lions don't really need a another Valhalla back. No, one lion's Valhalla back is more than enough. Uh, <laughs> right. Um, my predictions. We. Definitely need some turnovers. Um, our defense needs to take advantage. Goff has this little problem uh, with rattling pretty easy without McVeigh in his ear. So we definitely need to generate some turnovers. And the Lions backup running back, as far as I can tell, even against the Bears, iffy defense can be more or less shut down. So we can see how well we can do that. My prediction overall, and I'm probably giving us a little more credit, but we'll go with it. I'll go Vikings 30, Lions 24. So still within a score, but maybe a little bit more distance between the two scores would be nice. Yeah, it's one of those things you look at it on paper. It's like, well, we're we're better than Lions and. And then you worry about the Lions because they have got nothing to lose at this point. They've had a few extra days to get ready for the game. Coming off a tough loss against the Bears where the Bears took an 18-play eight-minute drive at the end of the game to beat them. Uh, I needed the Lions to win that game because I don't want to be their first win of the year. I think this is going to be really close. They've gotten a tie. That's as close to a win as they need. This is true. Uh, 
This is true. I don't want them to get it against us. I did not pick them to get it against us, but I think we're going to sweat this one out. And I've got the Vikings winning 23, 21. I just, and, and if we can't get pressure on golf, the last thing you want is a, is a confident Jared Goff. When he was with the Rams, he lit us up on a Thursday night. I'll never forget that. I was at that game. That was the one in LA. Yeah. That's, that was awful to watch from a defensive standpoint. It's also the one where Kevin McDermott lost a quarter of his finger. Oh yeah. Forgot he about got it that. stuck in somebody's helmet, the face yeah. mask. And then yeah, David Morgan had to long snap until halftime. Yeah, yep, and amazing. they never found the tip of his finger. Can you imagine finding the tip of the finger like the ground screw the next day? Right. Well, they were looking for it at halftime, but it was already probably too late to reattach it anyway, especially since it had been in the dirt. Yes. Oh, God. Where did that end up? I don't want to know. Now I'm going to. Bird have probably got it. Yeah. Now I'm. I, Hopefully an animal just got rid of it. Right. Uh, but yeah, that was the, that was the, the fun fact for that game is Kevin McDermott lost a quarter of his finger. Ugh. Thankfully it was his pinky finger on his non-dominant hand. So it didn't mess up his snapping. I mean, you got stories like Ronnie Lott cut off his finger at halftime of the game so he could finish the game. So that's, these guys are crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So hopefully we, uh, we don't have another sweated out. If we win though, I can deal with it. But it's the Lions. I mean, this is one you've got to put in the win column. If the Vikings happen to lose this one, I think things could spiral. But we have guys that could be coming back for this game, so we look to that. It's time for our, some of our backup skill guys to step up. Uh, I am looking forward to seeing Kenny play, uh, get some snaps, and hopefully he can do some fun stuff like he's done with kickoffs. Can we, we please, it. please stop having Didi Westbrook back there to receive kicks or punts? He scares nice. the living daylights out of me every single time. He doesn't make clean catches, Sarah. No. And when he lets it go over his head, I'm like super afraid it's going to touch part of him on the way because always, he always has his hand out at the same time. Like he can't decide if he's trying to catch it or let it go over his head. Yeah, you're waiting for that too, where it deflects off his hand. It's like, ugh. Yes. So if we could just not, like, there has to be somebody else that can. I mean, we need Keeney to be the running back now, but maybe we could put KJ Osborne back there. I don't know. I think, yeah, I think KJ is actually a good option. He's a good backup option to put out there now that Keeney's going to be our RB2. But they may they may not do that. They they may just let Keeney stay on the kick returns as well. They really shouldn't because if he goes down, I don't know what you do at running back, but Madison can only do so much. Right. And he still has issues finding holes. Yeah, he he runs over people, but he does miss holes. Yeah. He needs to run to the outside or start a bit closer. Of course, that's my criticism of Cook, too, is he needs to not start 10 yards back in the the backfield. Yeah, and I don't like that design either. You're right. I, I These guys need to be close to the line, hit the holes faster. We can't hold the blocks long enough for these guys to find the holes. But um, I, I'm not worried too much about our running game without Cook. 
uh, I, I'd be more. We've worried. done it before. Yeah, we've I'd be done more. it more without Cook than we have with Cook at this point. They won the two games that he didn't play. Exactly. And Madison did really well in those games. As a matter of fact, Madison had a lot of receiving yards in those games too. I you hate to say it, but I think part this team, I think their offense is more hard to figure out without Dalvin Cook in the backfield. Right. Yeah, because we don't signal, oh, it's a run play. Yeah, pretty much. It's hard to figure out what they're going to do. And uh, like I said, I think we have capable backups in their backfield. I'm not worried too much about the running game. Uh, I'm more worried about the guys blocking for our running backs than the guys actually running the football. We need this one because, like you said, it's a quick turnaround to the next game, too. Yes, and it's another away game, so we got to fly to Detroit and then fly home and get ready for primetime purple on thir- the following Thursday, which I'm very excited that they're actually wearing the primetime purples. I love the primetime purples. It's my favorite. Not going to lie. Yes. Love it. I see um, whites are my least favorite. <laughs> yeah. Um, That's all I got. Any final thoughts? Yep. Uh, well, we'll see what, uh, you know, Lion's song is appropriate uh, after this game. But all I can say right now is our next three games is Lions and Steelers and Bears. Oh, my. <laughs> Hopefully the lion sleeps tonight on Sunday and uh, doesn't wake up till after the game. Uh, thank you, as always, Sarah. Have a great rest of your night. And uh, we will talk to all of you after the game Sunday. We'll recap it and get ready for a quick turnaround for the Thursday night game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Take care, everybody.